Welcome to episode 41 of the Mountainland Running Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Heiderscheidt from the University of Wisconsin Sports Medicine. And here, back by popular demand, with my co-host, Mountainland physical therapist extraordinaire, Jeremy Stoker. I'm waiting for the cheers. Where's the crowd? Where's the crowd? <laughs> they're, they're there. I hear them. I can hear them outside my window. They are everywhere. Yeah, it's it's good to be back. I can't believe it's episode 41. That's incredible. That's it's, really, really fun. It's been fun listening, uh, and uh, I'm glad to be back and hopefully can lend a, a word or two. But, yeah, it's been a lot of time. you got done a great job continuing the podcast. So thanks for uh, having me back. I appreciate it. And you know, having you kelp kick us off in the start was key to the process. So yeah, it is crazy. It's already episode 41, isn't it? Yeah, uh, crazy. Nuts. Uh, all right. So let's get into the uh, today's podcast. But again, as a reminder, the 2020 Mountainland Running Summit has been, uh, dates have been selected. October 1st to the 3rd is at Grand Summit in Park City, Utah. This will be our fifth annual event, and we've got a few extra little special things that we're planning to use as part of the celebration. So I know emails have gone out, so please check your inbox or your spam mail potentially, but keep an eye out for further announcements as we move forward with exact programming. We hope to have that finalized and released here in the coming weeks. Uh, and of course, send any questions and feedback you have to us at podcast at mlrehab.com and certainly su suggestions for future guests. All right, today is our privilege to be joined by Dr. Karsten Hollander of the University of Hamburg. Dr. Hollander is an assistant professor specializing in sports medicine and physical medicine and rehabilitation. He served as the team physician for the German cross-country skiing national team and on the medical advisory board of the German Athletic Association. In addition, he completed a PhD in biomechanics studying the long-term adaptations of habitual forefoot sorry, habitual barefoot locomotion on foot morphology and biomechanics during childhood and adolescence. And to round it off, he is currently a visiting fellow at the Spalding National Running Center and a postdoc fellow at Harvard Medical School. Do you sleep at all, Karsten? Uh, yes. Uh, hi, Brian. Thanks for the invitation. <laughs> I do sleep quite regularly, actually, at the moment. Um, I do, yes. <laughs> that is a lot. Part of the recovery. That is a heck of an accomplishment of lists of things that you've done that you've already taken care of at this point in your career. So thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for those kind words. Yeah. So let's, let's just kind of get rolling a little bit and uh, give our listeners a chance to get to know you a bit. Maybe a little bit about your background and how you got interested in this overall line of work. Yes, um, probably as many running researchers, um, I have a running background myself. I used to uh, run competitively uh, with a focus on middle distance, my favorite distance for the 800 meters. But yes, uh, there's not a lot of people that uh, prefer 800 distance. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's kind of uh, how I got into running research as well. Um, I went to med school and I had to get some money uh, side, I worked in a running store. So uh, connected the academic way with some practical experience by selling footwear or running shoes. And um, as well as many runners experienced, I had a few injuries, which got me a bit more into the uh, injury and biomechanics side of uh, running. And as you just mentioned, I work as a team physician for cross-country skiers and for uh, runners as well. And um, 
furthermore, I work as a race physician in Hamburg. So I'm at the finish line of some uh, big um, road races in Hamburg and there I take care of the more acute problems of running, which can also cure, especially over summer and For hot sure. races. Yeah. That's, that's kind of ironic, actually, that you worked in a running footwear store, but you're studying barefoot running. So did you just kind of reject every, every paycheck that came your way? Uh, I should. Uh, there was. A, so when I started with my research, I was still working there. And I, then I had a, uh, to evolve a little bit from selling motion control shoes to in order to like inhibit pronation or overpronation and to um, inhibit a, a, a rear foot strike um, and that kind of uh, thing in the 2D video analysis in the store. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was probably some evolvement or ev evolution in my career. Yeah. But I stopped working at the running store, um, but I <laughs> still like to chat with the boss there. For sure. For sure. Yes. That's great. So your, your current research now, so you've, you completed your, your PhD and we'll get a chance to talk a little bit about some of your PhD works. I think that sets the stage nicely for the, the main study that we're going to talk about today. But you're also currently working with Irene Davis at, at uh, Spalding Rehab Center as well as, as, well as Adam, Adam 1040. Uh, both have been prior guests on the podcast and uh, are, I know both of them well just through uh, uh, meetings and, and uh, research work. Um, so through that work and your postdoc, are you looking to continue this area of research or are you evolving into other areas? Yes, you're right. I'm here at the Spalding National Running Center and working with Irene Davis and Adamton Forty, as well as Caleb Johnson and Jeremy Audley. It's a big group here and a uh, lot of interest in especially running injuries. Mm -hmm. So um, my focus of my PhD and my um, my research was primarily in biomechanics at first and in this research line of course at some point you have to get to the holy grail uh, the injuries and that's the line where I'm working on at the moment and where I think uh, more research is needed yeah currently. for sure yes um, interestingly I didn't uh, write that uh, in advance but my in med school in Germany, we have to write a thesis. Mm -hmm. And my first research project was on hematology. I was looking at B-cell lymphomas, um, <laughs> which is uh, somewhere different, was quite interesting, but I really didn't like the work in the lab with the pipettes and doing yeah. stuff. And that's how I got into more practical work. Um, back then, I wanted to become a pediatrician. <laughs> and I went to the sports medicine department and said, ah, I'm a runner. I want to do some research on running um, and maybe something with children. Um, and that's how I got in touch with my uh, thesis and later PhD supervisor, Astrid Zech. Um, she said, yeah, well, there is a bit of, of uh, footwear and barefoot running at the moment. It was 2011, 2012, oh, yeah. just, just after Born to Run and this Nature publication by Dan Lieberman came out. Mm -hmm. And we're like, okay, nobody has done something in children. Uh, we'll look at that. And that's kind of how I um, got into this part of my research. Yeah, that you, you hit on a part that's really critical, right? And that's there's nobody's done this in children and running. Nobody's hardly done anything with children and running, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a difficult 
population. It is. No, it's a very interesting population, I have to say. But with the IRB and the parents and the recruitment of the participants, but like this is my my very first work uh, from 2014, um, where we recruited um, children six to nine year old and wow. let them run on the treadmill, um, which they probably never done before. Yeah. Um, and at the beginning it was quite difficult, but um, with the parents being there and seeing, oh, we're doing a gait analysis and we look at the feet and we look how they run and we give like um, sheets of, of, of um, uh, colored graphs to the parents. Actually, the recruitment went pretty well by mouse by worse, uh, mouse by mouse uh, yeah. uh, advertisement. And it was quite interesting. And um, I think it is important to look at children because, of course, they don't have uh, many years of uh, experience or even like chances to collect uh, bad bio biomechanics or uh, whatever for later life. And that's how we got involved in that and was an interesting experience, which also kind of led into my PhD work. Nice. So let's, let's talk. So you want to get into some of your PhD work or do you want to, should we head into the, into the paper, the AGSM paper a bit? Um, no, I'd, like I'd, I'd be happy to chat a bit about the PhD because yeah, it directly it. Uh, 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 links or, or gives a good um, thread to the, AGSM paper. Yeah, I think so too. Why don't we go a little bit of background on that again? Yeah. Um, so, what the focus of your of your dissertation work was on on, on adolescence and running? Um, yes, it was. Like our first work, and also most of the work back then, two thousand fourteen, was cross sectional, cross sectional mm -hmm. data on running. So putting shoes on, putting new shoes on, putting shoes off, and mm -hmm. look what happens in the acute situation. And um, I mean, there's, and there was and is a lot of speculation whether that can be transferred or not. But back then, there was not too much on like long-term effects. And that's, we were lucky to get some good funding in Germany from our um, Ministry of Research. And, um, which enabled us to look at those long-term effects. We did a systematic review with meta-analysis that we published in MSSE, um, concluding more or less that there is not a lot evidence on e these long-term effects. Mm -hmm. And um, when investigating long-term effects, there are two ways. Uh, one is um, looking at or, or performing an interventional study, uh, desire the uh, RCT, or the other way is a shortcut that we also took is looking at habituated statuses. So what we did, or what I did in my PhD, we um, went to South Africa, to Stellenbosch University, mm -hmm. which is a very nice uh, place. And um, there they have a big culture of barefoot walking, barefoot running, barefoot sports. So I, I did not really believe it, but they even go barefoot to, to um, to school, hmm. not out of socio-economic reasons. Everybody does it, even hmm. in the university, the Stellenbosch University, private university. I've seen several um, adolescents and adults walking barefoot. Wow! So it's a big culture for that. And we um, went to schools in the Western Cape, which is like in the Cape Town um, Stellenbosch area, 
to urban and rural areas and went to the schools and measured the feed, measured their biomechanics just by a um, high um, frequency uh, video camera and we measured their motor performance. Mm -hmm. And we did the same in Hamburg um, and the rural areas uh, around Hamburg. If, every, if, if anyone is listening from there, sorry for that, but uh, there are some rural areas around Hamburg. <laughs> and um, in Germany, there's not even no culture, but it is um, forbidden to take off shoes in school. Hmm. And nobody really does it. So we had like one or two habitual, what we defined as a habitual barefoot child in Germany. So most of them uh, were from South Africa. And we had a, a mathematician on board uh, who did pretty fancy statistics with um, um, confounder adjustment for physical activity, for sex, for BMI, for ethnicity. And we found that there is an effect of just being habitual barefoot versus habitual shot on the foot arch. So <laughs> the children had uh, the, the habitual barefoot children had higher arches or the short children had lower arches and we found that they um, were better at the habitual barefoot children were better at balancing and sprinting interestingly not in running or sprinting hmm. and um, there was a, quite a big project with more than a thousand children and adolescents included wow. however it was a cross-sectional study we went there once measured them once and asked them whether or not they are normally barefoot or not. So it's a cross-sectional data, so it's mm -hmm. difficult or not allowed to draw causal relations from that. Right. And that's how we came up with a few ideas to conduct RCTs. One on running economy and minimalist footwear and one in elderly, which is not published yet, and one on biomechanics, what we yes. are probably looking at in more detail in a bit. Yeah, exactly. That's great. I mean, to do that as part of your dissertation work is impressive to get a thousand uh, children and adolescents on board. Even, you know, like you say, it's, it's one, it's a snapshot in time with cross-sectional design, but that doesn't take away from just the, the, uh, the workload associated with measurements on, on over yeah. a thousand kids. Now, did you, you said that you, you measured their foot arch Remind me again, did you end up taking any sort of ultrasound measurements of uh, some of the muscles in the foot? Mm -hmm. So first of all, I have to say it was my PhD, but it was not my uh, sole work. So sure. there were many, many researchers involved from South Africa and Germany. Thanks to everyone. There was a quite a big project and logistic uh, problem to be solved to measure all those kids. <laughs> right. What we did uh, with regard to the uh, foot arch, we measured it statically with, uh, with the arch height index measurement system, mm -hmm. which is a validated uh, system for static foot arch. Mm -hmm. And we used a pressure plate, uh, EMIT uh, pressure plate that we carried okay. from school to school. So we calculated the dynamic arch index as well. So no ultrasound. Okay. There have been some groups, right, that have looked at uh, uh, cross-sectional area of muscle size uh, for foot intrinsics for people who are, who are habitually barefoot versus shod. Is that correct? I think there are a few studies that have been done in that area. Yeah, yeah. Lately, in the last few years, there were yeah. some studies looking at that, which is very impressive. And I think 
there is more needed in that direction as well. But before I started with my PhD, I was like, yeah, we're going to measure feet. Now, yeah. a couple of day, couple of years later, I was like, whoa, there are many different ways to measure feet. <laughs> and there's not the one uh, uh, way, um, the gold standard. Maybe it's x-ray, but it's not possible to take an x-ray uh, from right. school to school for several reasons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, probably interesting because we found differences, but we don't know whether it's muscle, whether it's fat, yeah. whether it's the thickness of the um, of the skin. We don't know that, but we just found those differences. Yeah. All right. Well, let's 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 jump ahead a little bit in time um, to your more uh, a more recent paper. I'm sure you've got others as well. But the American Journal of Sports Medicine, uh, you published a paper in July of 2019, um, and the title of the paper is "Adaptation of Running Biomechanics to Repeated Barefoot Running: A Randomized Controlled Study." So I think obviously this gets a lot of attention just with those three magic words of randomized controlled study you automatically you know, earn a lot of points for that because those are not easy to do but then secondly to do to try to take it on with the idea of understanding uh, not just immediate changes but potentially intermediate to long-term changes like you mentioned before in your cross-sectional study or looking at some of these other uh, studies that you had done you see this immediate effect um, you don't really necessarily know if that's going to be maintained or it's going to, or it's going to reverse direction or, or what's going to happen after a period of adjustment. So, I, again, I, I was really liked this the design that you implemented here and how you carried it through. So um, maybe a little bit about uh, what you, how you design the study, how you set it up. I think your discussion of your PhD dissertation sets up the groundwork for why you did the study but maybe a little bit about how you designed the study and, and what were some of the initial groups that you went after. Yeah, thanks for your kudos first. Um, we are also happy that we were able to get funding for the study and to conduct the study. Um, so the general idea in an RCT is to get as many things fixed and uh, just uh, modify one thing so that you can um, uh, relate differences to this change and mm -hmm. the change we were looking at was habituation to barefoot running mm -hmm. and uh, con compared to habituation to shot running and we had i mean it was not too easy to set up the inclusion criteria and everything so we had a lot of discussion with my um, supervisor back then astrid zech about what we are looking at we decided on physically active adults, so not even necessarily runners. So they were from the university surrounding, so they, most of them were sports students, some kind of. Um, I just looked at the data yesterday, um, they had a VO2 max of 47, uh, the mean value. So, okay, uh, mm -hmm. not elite runners, but uh, also not um, unfit. And what was important for us is that they had no experience with barefoot locomotion. Mm -hmm. That means not wearing minimalist footwear, not doing sports like ballet or taekwondo or judo or whatever, um, where they are used to, to perform their sports barefoot. And um, we decided to include both um, genders. Um, we had some thoughts about it. In the other study I mentioned about the running economy, we focused just on 
male runners. Mm -hmm. And there are reasons to also just look at one sex, but uh, one, one gender. And um, here we decided to include both. However, we randomized and stratified for sex so that we tried to get that ethical confounder out of the design. Mm -hmm. um, next thing, when looking at the, um, at the study design, in an RCT, it's always good if we can provide some blinding. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's not possible to blind the participants to whether or not they are barefoot. Um, but we blinded, uh, we had an intervention, I will talk about it in a bit, um, and we had a biomechanical assessment before and after the study. So the team that conducted the intervention was also not blinded because of course they could see uh, whether they did it in uh, shoes or not. Um, however, the team conducting the biomechanical analysis was blinded to the um, treatment arm. So we okay. did the assessments before and after the intervention barefoot and shot, mm -hmm. so in both conditions. And um, the researcher team, A, um, capturing the data and analyzing the data was blinded to the groups. So a bit of blinding, um, but uh, yeah, there are some studies from, from Luxembourg, from Laurent Malizou, who did interesting studies where they even blinded the footwear. So they uh, had different midsoles and yeah. uh, uh, did not know which midsoles were in those shoes. I think that's pretty cool. But of course, yeah. in barefoot running, it's not possible. Not an option, right. not an option yes. So in terms of the three groups, because you have three groups for this particular study, right? You had the group that uh, was doing, was being exposed to barefoot running for the very first time in a structured manner. You had a group that remained in shoes and was it their own shoes or did you give them a standardized pair of shoes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. So three groups, one habituated to barefoot, one to a new shoe. It was a standardized shoe. We used a cushioned um, running shoe uh, off the shelf, uh, regular like an Essex uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Cumulus, I, was, I think it was. So no motion control elements, but a good uh, uh, cushioned mm -hmm. um, running shoe, but standardized. Mm -hmm. And we had a third group, which was a passive control group. So they continued with their usual physical activity, but they did not receive any uh, intervention. Okay. And all three groups still went through the same testing process, both before and after the, the intervention period. Yes, yeah. that's correct. Okay, great. And I suppose now you want to talk about the intervention? Uh, you got it. You took a merge right out of my mouth. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so, um, of course, when looking at an intervention, there are many different variables uh, you can or you have to decide on. So, we decided to conduct a habituation which is different to a training. So we did not increase the amount of running from week to week. We kept, kept it constantly. And it was 15 minutes of running in the allocated footwear or no footwear on a treadmill. The speed was set um, according to a VO2 max test we did in advance. Um, so we had the velocity at VO2 max and they ran at 70%. So non-exhausting mm -hmm. um, speed for all participants. So the, the mean 
um, speed was, and I have to calculate in, I uh, had to calculate in miles, of course, to talk to you about this, uh, was 6.8 miles per hour. So yep. not super fast, not super slow. Um, that was the mean running speed. Um, in addition, so this was part of a, of a bigger project where we looked at different things. We mm -hmm. had a balance task where um, participants um, had to stand on an unstable platform for 30 seconds. We repeated that 15 times uh, with 30 seconds of a break to in, because they were all used to run, but, not, but this was a new task, um, right. a dynamic balance task. And this has been published uh, um, in another paper. And we also, um, where, where we focused on motor learning and neuroplasticity. And we also included um, MRI scans of the brain at the beginning and the end. Unfortunately, that has not been published where we looked with some psychologists from Hamburg um, at the motor context, uh, motor mm -hmm. cortex. Um, unfortunately, this is uh, somewhere in the pipeline. So I hope we will get that out because it's also interesting yeah. when we looked at. So focus of this study is the barefoot habituation. Got it. In this running economy paper we published the year before, 2018, we decided to have an increment in training. So from 5 to 10, 15, 20% of mileage. In this study, we didn't just the habituation. Okay. And you can remind me, what was the running experience of the subjects that were recruited for the study? Um, they did not have to be necessarily runners. Right. They were all physically active, active in some sports, right. but no competitive runners or some of them were recreational runners. Yeah. And, um, but that was not um, a hard inclusion criteria which again i think for the you know your intervention when you're talking about one session of 15 minutes of running per week for seven seven weeks i believe or eight weeks that that makes sense because really what you're dealing with in many ways is a novice runner right i mean they could be physically active but their ability and their their experience with running is potentially zero and so when you're exposing them to a sustained task like that, you got to be very careful that your intervention itself isn't going to create an injury. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Did you, um, did you control for other activity outside of the intervention during the week, uh, both with the passive group and the intervention groups? Like could they run during the week or what did the passive group do during that eight weeks of time? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we allowed them to continue with their usual physical activity. So that was what we said. So um, they were allowed to run, but not barefoot or in the new shoes. They were in the lab and they just got them um, for the intervention. Um, but they were allowed to continue their, their usual daily activities. Okay. Nice. All right. Uh, what did you find? What were your results? Yeah, what did we find? Um, so we did a 3D biomechanical analysis on the treadmill in the lab. And um, we pooled, like we had 60 participants. Um, we had a bit of dropout, 11.7%, which was 
better than we expected. Mm -hmm. So kudos to the uh, researchers who kept them motivated yeah. uh, because that's always a problem in interventional studies that we have to deal with dropout. So we had 11.7 and we had a very good adherence. So the participants um, um, came to 97.1% of the sessions, which is also quite that's good. Um, so we, what we did, we pulled the data of those 60 runners at the pre-testing. And we lo just looked at the acute effects. We let them run in the cushioned running shoe and barefoot. And we found all those parameters that has, have been described in many different publications. So mm -hmm. um, they tended, like when, barefoot, when running barefoot, they tend to land uh, in a less dorsiflexed way. They um, decrease their step lengths, increase their cadence. And we saw altered uh, ground reaction forces. Um, so uh, decreased um, uh, vertical average loading rates, um, decreased um, average force forces. And yeah, that's all in confirmation of prior yeah. studies. Also to yeah. our children's studies and to many other studies in this field on habitual shot runners. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, uh, an easy test. And I think with just those results, uh, this uh, paper would have not been published in right. American Journal of Sports Medicine. So let's uh, go to the um, intervention effects. So. Our primary outcome was the foot strike index. So we had a 3D biomechanics and a pressure plate on, on, under the treadmill. And we calculated the foot strike index from it. And the habituation to barefoot group increased their foot strike index. So they landed more anterior after mm -hmm. the habituation. Um, and what we've found as well is that the average ground reaction forces and the vertical average loading rates also increased after the intervention. And um, all other effects, uh, all other outcomes uh, remained unchanged when compared to the habitual shot group, when compared to the uh, passive control group. And I think especially this vertical average loading rate um, yeah. parameter and that it increased, it surprised us a lot. And it probably also provoked the discussion or the, the, the attention in Twitter, Facebook, and whatsoever, because that was not expected. Right. Yeah, to, to see that average vertical loading rate decrease immediately, yep. but that after eight weeks be higher than it was at baseline. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a definitely a unique finding. And, and yep. like you said, it's not something that, where there are many comparable studies uh, that you can see if it if this finding is is the same as others because there's very few that have been done. Yes, it, absolutely, absolutely. Was it higher um, at follow up with both shod and barefoot? The the the, the reaction force was higher with this with both a, conditions. This is a good question. It was for barefoot running. So I would have to look at the values on the table uh, to tell you how it was for shot running, but I think they were not statistically significant. Right, that's what I remember as well. They did not, they definitely were not significant. And I believe they actually went down. Not not significantly, but um, yeah, they, they did, they went down. Yeah, do you have the table there? I do, yep. Yeah. 
Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, of course, I cannot remember all values, but um, yeah. it was for the barefoot running condition. That is uh, important to say. So mm -hmm. not, no transfer effects. Or and the and the passive control group, this is, or the passive control group, since I'm looking at that table still, she had pretty much zero change uh, from from pre to post. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is again a good thing. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, I mean, we we try to get uh, try to keep everything uh, under control, but uh, sometimes there are confounders that we did not think about in advance. But uh, the, that uh, was the reason why we had this con passive control group as well. Yeah. So let's stay with that key finding a little bit. And what are your what was your your thought about it? Why why did you think that that may have been the case that there was this increase? Yeah. My first thought when I got the results from the statistician, um, he did a great <laughs> job. He's also a mathematician and I'm quite happy that he was on board. I was like, hmm, okay, um, I did not expect that. Um, let's think about it. <laughs> what do I do when I have to think about stuff? I go for a run, of course. And, uh, I was like, hmm, that's not how we expected the results, but that's also that's, uh, that's uh, what research is about, that uh, sometimes you confirm your ideas and sometimes you don't. And um, yeah, we came up with an explanation after my run, after the discussion with the others, um, <laughs> that could link to ankle stiffness. So that's speculative because we didn't measure sure. um, any neuromuscular changes, no EMG data. Um, but there is a, a study that was published from CoWild. Um, I think, I don't know exactly in which uh, journal it was, where they showed that um, the, in, when in habituation to barefoot running, the preactivation um, decreases for the tip end anterior and an increase of the gastrocnemius uh, muscles. And that's something where we, discuss, or where, where we speculated about that it might um, be due to ankle stiffness. So we found the foot strike index to be increased. So they land fur further in front of mm -hmm. further anterior and um, the muscle activation pattern could be an explanation why those loading rates were increased. And so with, the, with your pressure treadmill, you recorded uh, vertical forces, basically. Yeah, we right. recorded uh, um, pressure and yeah. uh, calculated forces from it. Yeah. So I, mean, I guess you could go back and do a little bit of a, a mechanical stiffness calculation at the ankle with your 3D data and the vertical ground and the vertical forces just to get an idea of how stiff the ankle joint was obviously you're missing your anterior posterior medial forces yeah. but you might be able to get a little bit of a, a rotational stiffness calculation that's a good idea um i will talk to the biomechanist who did the analysis <laughs> Steffen Wilbacher. but he's, yeah. he's super handsome with the with the data and the uh, algorithms yeah um, he might be interesting yeah it'd be interested. really interesting to see if, it, if that if that plays out because i mean it looks like you do have some data to take a look at that so or at least yeah. a rough estimate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What well, we also not looked at, um, so that there are a few interventional and RCTs, uh, interventional studies and RCTs, one from Nick Tam and his uh, mm -hmm. group from Cape Town. And um, they found that there are responders and non-responders to a habituation or to a training to barefoot running. Mm 
mm. and we did not look at that. So we okay. looked at group means. Yep. Um, that might also something which could uh, be interesting to see individual yeah. responses because we know runners are uh, uh, quite uh, inter-individually different. And <clears throat> one thing which is also discussed or where one should think about is um, instructed versus uninstructed uh, habituation. So we didn't tell them anything to do on the treadmill except for running on it. So we did not tell them to modify their foot strike patterns or their cadence or um, strengthen their feet or anything. It was an uninstructed um, um, habituation period. Yeah. And might be that the results would be different if we had an instructed barefoot running. Yeah. But, you know, in many ways, I think you're, your ecological validity of your approach makes a lot of sense because people who, have been, who may take barefoot running for the first time or when they start to run, they're not going to do it under supervision or with any cueing. They're just going to give it a go with some general, general guidelines. So I think in, in that way, I really like the fact that you didn't incorporate a lot of directed supervised feedback. Yeah, true. Or it's an ecological. Or, yeah. RCT. Yeah, true. Yeah. So what, what sort of, what do you got going now? What's what sort of new stuff are you working on? Um, yeah, it's a good question. So, um, with my background in biomechanics, I mean, my my first background is uh, being a physician and yeah. treating, uh, or even better, preventing injuries. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I will, I'm, I'm transferring um, my research a bit more into the injury area. So um, I've done a bit on uh, injury, injury epidemiology, injury prevention in different Olympic sports, for example, hockey, field hockey, indoor hockey, or in Paralympic sports such as wheelchair basketball. Um, and my research so far from in with running was primarily either biomechanics, either physiology, or just running um, um, injury epidemiology. Mm -hmm. And we found also high numbers of injuries. Uh, people don't stop running, uh, keep on running. And now we have to combine it. Of course, as I said in the beginning, cross-sectional data is interesting to maybe create some hypothesis or get some ideas uh, what correlations could be there, but we need um, interventional studies to, or at least prospective uh, cohort studies to investigate um, the potential of barefoot running to be uh, preventive. I mean, we, we, we don't know whether barefoot running is preventive. We don't know whether shoes uh, prevent running injuries and um, I mean, you're probably all aware of Ben or Nick, who after 40 years of right. uh, footwear research says, ah, well, maybe it's, uh, um, it's a um, preferred movement path and uh, comfort filter uh, that is important. And I mean, running injuries are multifactorial. We all know that uh, there's so many physiological, but also psychological uh, variables or, or, or parameters going into um, a possible injury, that it's quite difficult. And I think we need prospective data. And I think, sorry, I think the um, 
current idea of uh, citizen science um, combined with variables. I mean, every watch, every phone, every IMU uh, is, has the potential to, to get some data. And I think um, this could lead to some good ideas of um, big data analysis in runners. That's mm -hmm. something where we are writing a grant application at the moment mm -hmm. um, to combine many things. That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the, it's one thing we always have to be careful of, and I think running in the running area has been as guilty as any is, you know, we've got a, a biomechanical finding or a biomechanical difference, and then we begin to suggest the significance or the implications of it. And then that significance, that suggested inf implication gets a life of its own and never gets circled back on and validated. Yep. Yep. It, become, it becomes the reality rather than just speculation. Yep. Um, and doing exactly what you said, those prospective confirmation or, tr or not, confirmation's the wrong word, those prospective clinical event trials to truly test those theories uh, is absolutely needed. Yeah. However, good funding is needed for it. That's right. Prospective <laughs> studies need manpower and need yep. um, good ideas. Yeah, it's actually pretty easy. I mean, in 1992, uh, Willem van Mechelen from Amsterdam, he had the sequence of injury prevention. You probably have seen this graph at some point somewhere. Yep. I mean, it's, I, 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 I gave a, um, a talk and my wife came to me afterwards and said like, well, that's pretty easy this prevention series yeah in theory it is in theory. but as you said the last step the the validation or the confirmation of the interventional effects is always quite Huge. difficult yeah yeah sure. yeah exactly so any any key take home message for our listeners today that you want to leave them with about you know your work or you know, the direction that it's going yeah the first thing is uh, normally when i start a talk on biomechanics and running that running is healthy yes exactly normally and uh, nobody shall be uh, shall go out out of my lectures or my talks with the idea that um, running is dangerous so i love running myself and i um, uh, uh, would never uh, try to inhibit somebody from running mm -hmm. but maybe the the, the take-home message from for the listeners is that um, from this specific study, um, taking off shoes is a pretty easy intervention um, that can be conducted. And um, it has been suggested to be beneficial to inhibit running injuries. However, the evidence for, for those injury prevention potential is still um, pretty thin. So I think it's difficult to take cross-sectional yeah. results to give proper injury prevention um, recommendations. And that's probably the main um, take home message. And that uh, as always more research is needed in this case, prospective mm -hmm. studies. Perfect. Carson, thank you so much for the time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Brian, thank you for your time and Jeremy. Yeah, thanks for letting me be here. It was a pleasure talking to you.
For sure. Well, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. On behalf of my co-host, Jeremy Stoker, we'd like to thank you for tuning in. And as a reminder, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. Also, don't forget Mountainland Running Summit for 2020 is October 1st through the 3rd. Keep an eye out for future programming announcements as we begin to develop this fifth anniversary edition. Uh, registration programming updates will be available online at summit.mlrehab.com. As always, you can find more information on all the running medicine resources offered by Mountainland Physical Therapy at mlrehab.com slash run. See you next time. This podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Exercises that are safe and appropriate for some people may not be for you. No treatment program should be undertaken without first consulting your physical therapist or physician. The contents of this podcast is protected under United States copyright laws and may not be reproduced, redistributed, transmitted, displayed, published, or broadcast without prior written permission of Mountainland Physical Therapy.